Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. Welcome to the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway, where you'll learn the keys to building a profitable speaking business from speaking industry pros. Each week, we interview a great guest who will share his or her speaking journey, identify what their keys to success have been, and highlight some critical mistakes they've made along the way that you'll want to avoid. Be sure to visit our website at spotlightonspeaking.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet this week's guest. Good morning, afternoon, or evening to everyone listening in wherever and whenever you may be catching this show. I'm Brett Ridgway, and I'm excited to welcome you to another episode of the Spotlight on Speaking Show. And I'm even more excited to have as my guest today, Shifu Rafael Gomez. Shifu Rafael is the founder of five unique shows, which are done live. He's a fitness professional, a public speaker, a solutions expert, an executive coach, and head instructor at Max Martial Arts and Fitness in New York. Sifu Raphael's purpose is to unite like-minded individuals to create new possibilities and impact the world we live in. Sifu Raphael believes that we can all change the world. Most importantly, we need to start with ourselves, and then we can help others. Welcome, Sifu Raphael, to the Spotlight on Speaking Show. Thank you, my friend. It's a pleasure for sure. Well, I'm honored to have you here, Sifu, and I've been fortunate to be guest on, I think, four of your five podcasts now, so, you know, I got I got to try to complete the cycle at some point in time, I think, but <laughs> anyway, we want to talk about your speaking journey today, and as a prolific podcast host, you do a lot of speaking, I know, in various venues, you've taught students for years in your martial arts academy, so I got to ask you, first of all, what is a solutions expert? What exactly does that mean? Sure. So what happens is I have a lot of people that come to me and they have a situation, they have a problem, they have something they need help with. And it could be whether it's it's how to get customers, how to engage their customers, how to keep their customers, or even how to set up their new location. So I come in because I've done architectural drawings, I've done uh, design, I've done all these different things, and I've had businesses for so long, so long that I know exactly what works, what doesn't work. So I come in and I help them find the solutions that they really should have in their lives to impact their bottom line. Okay, so let's get into the speaking thing, so to speak. Sure. And, and you know, what business were you in? when you first decided that you were going to use speaking as one of the marketing tools in your arsenal? Wow. It's very interesting that you say that because I started working at the age of 10. So in order, I know, right? Crazy. <laughs> in order for me to be able to get that job, I needed to come across as if I was older. And 
from that position, by the time I was 11, I got promoted, believe it or not. And it's because of the way I spoke to people. So I realized that a lot of people, they like being feeling good and they like someone who helps them feel good. So I realized that in order for me to advance in anything, I had to be more of a service-minded individual and always say, how can I help you? And that has taken me so far that I get asked on, on all different things. People come and approach me all the time because it's not about me, it's about them. So I realized early on that in order for me to help somebody, I needed to be able to understand them. So understanding someone and then using my words so that they can understand me. I mean, that's that's what I learned early on. All right. So I, I have to ask, Raphael, what, what kind of job was that? Because when you talk about 10-year-olds going to work, you obviously what comes to mind are sweatshops and coal mines <laughs> and things like that. So, Believe it or not, it was in New York back in 1970, let's say 75. Yeah, 75. And it was in a bingo hall. And <laughs> the reason was, is, is my friend was, my friend's brother, who was 17, was working there. And I wanted what he had. He had cash. Anytime we went to the store, we were all scrounging for pennies. He pulled out bills. And I'm like, why? I want that. So I asked, is, are they looking for help? And my friends, none of my friends wanted to work. They wanted to play. And I was like, no, I want money. So for me, he he said, yeah, I think I can use your help. So I started working. He just introduced me to, I was a tall kid. So he introduced me to his bosses and they're like, okay, let's try him out. And then from there on, I started speaking to the bosses. And that's how I became from not only cleaning the bingo hall, half of it was so huge. It took about three to four hours to clean half of the clean bingo hall. And it, but it wasn't just me. It was me and him. And then from there, I went to a short order cook because they allowed us to go behind the counter and make ourselves sandwiches, grilled cheeses, whatever. And so I learned how to do that. And then they said, well, somebody and they kept saying to me, can you make that grilled cheese looks really good who made it? i was like i did they're like can you make me one i'm like sure and so from there one guy didn't show up one day and they had a game that was about to start and i used to hang around and talk to people and they're like hey rafael can you go behind the counter sure and that's how i got promoted all right so you will be ever forever known as the bingo hole boy in my world there you go. <laughs> B B12. <laughs> okay, so let's fast forward a little bit into your adult years or whatever. So you got into martial arts, obviously. So when did you open up your first martial arts center or gym or whatever you, you want to call it? And did you utilize speaking to help promote that in some way? Absolutely. I opened up a uh, martial arts school in 1992. And I opened it up for someone else. And Within a short amount of time, I had 170 members, which was more than the school that he was running. And he was like, what are you doing differently? I said, well, I'm, if 
finding out what people want and then I'm giving it to them. So it was about that communication of selling, but I wasn't just selling to sell a product. I was selling, first I was selling me, then I was selling the classes, and then I was selling them the, on the idea that they can become a black belt as well. So it's, it's that communication. So you, you said something there that's critically important, and that was you gave people what they wanted by listening to them. So how do you mm -hmm. apply that in your speaking career? Well, a lot of times if I'm going to an event and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be on stage, whether it's a big stage <clears throat> or it's a teaching platform, I'm in a classroom type of things because I sometimes I go to different states and I do that as well. I'll go into an organization or whatnot. I need to find out what it is that they're looking for. So if I'm going to a venue where I'm on a speaking stage, what are they looking for? So a lot of people say to me, what do you speak on? I said, whatever the audience wants to hear. Because if I come with just what I have, they may not be there for that. So if I go to an engineering and they don't want to hear about black belts, they want to hear about leadership, right? So you have to be able to communicate the message that they're willing to listen to. So what are your best tips for an aspiring speaker out there as to how to best determine what it is that the audience wants in advance of a speaking engagement? Well, you have to talk to the people who are putting it together. And you know this because you've done this a thousand times yourself. We need to be able to communicate what is the engagement about? Who is in your audience? So we need to find out who the audience is. If it's a bunch of college kids, cool. If it's a bunch of people who are executives, great. If it's people who are seniors, what is it that they're looking for? What's the message that your overall program is about? And how can I fill it? Because if somebody asks me to go and talk about structural engineering, that's not my gig. So why would I want to go there and look like a fool? I'd rather go there and talk to them about leadership and how they can get, you know, but if they want me to be technical on a specific thing that they're technical on and I don't know it, that would be a, a failure on my end. So that raises the question. Have you ever turned down a stage because you didn't feel it was a proper fit for you? Yes, I have. So... As a person beginning their speaking journey, do you feel as if they should accept pretty much any speaking opportunity to hone their skills, or they still need to be picking and choosing based on audience needs? I believe in the beginning, if you get, you're not going to get big stages, right? I don't, <laughs> unless just somehow you get very lucky, but I think you're going to get small opportunities, even if you create the opportunity. So family functions, put a speech together and then just gather some family, say, hey, I have this thing I wanna to talk to you guys about. Would you mind listening? And if all of a sudden they start to kind of walk away, then you know that maybe you need to work on your speech. But if they're engaged, maybe first you find out what it is that that, that group of family, maybe it's your cousins and they're interested in something. Find out what their interests are first and then create a speech for them. And But sound like 
like an expert. You may not be the expert, but do your research and become the expert that you want people to see you as. And it doesn't matter on what it is. If it's a technical thing and you don't know it, you may fail. But if it's a technical thing and you, you have several months to really get deep into it, you may come across like an expert. But how truthful are you? So you, you also have to go in there with integrity, right? So I think we need to create our audience first when we get started. Talk to your friends, talk to your spouse, your partner. Ask somebody to gauge your speaking. Also, the other thing I do, obviously, it's video. You need to videotape yourself. I think the first person we talk to in the morning is ourselves, right? I think. So... A lot of speakers, I don't want to say a lot, but there are speakers out there who deliver the same canned presentation every time. It's like, this is my speech. This is what I'm doing. You know, forget what they might want to wear. This, this, is, what, <sighs> this is what my talk is or whatever. So I say boring. <laughs> yeah. So how much customization should a speaker be willing to do of their, their core topics or whatever? I mean, you got to have some core modules or blocks or whatever that you can pull from or whatever. Because going to the drawing board every time, Raphael, to learn a new subject so that you can speak on it three months isn't something that most people are going to be willing or able to do, obviously. So Correct. the question again Correct. is how much customization should a speaker be willing to do for a given presentation? Well, you know, it's, it's very interesting. I've heard people deliver the same exact speech in different venues. And I'm like, man, great for the people who never saw them. Mm -hmm. Terrible for the people who've seen them twice, three, four times. And then they no longer are going to be captivated. Maybe the first time. So we need to understand that, yes, if we have a, a set speech, it needs to get better every time you deliver it. I... It's the way I teach classes also, or the way I teach somebody something. I'm always looking, how can I do this better? How can I teach it better for you? Because not every audience is going to be captivated by the first one. But if you switch it up and change it up and give it a little bit more and create stories and, and, and get the audience engaged with you and ask questions. If you just go there and you say, I, 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 man, that is a boring speech. But when you include the audience and you say, when you or when we, that brings people in. So for me, it's always about never delivering the same lesson or speech or information because there's always something that we can add all right so given the wealth of topics that you speak on and the number of years you've been involved in speaking in some way shape or form what would your three best tips be for an aspiring speaker as to how to be most successful in the speaking world I think one is look up speakers that fascinate you. Look up speakers that 
are engaging, that they engage the audience, that if you were to be able to look at the audience, the audience is nodding their head and they're agreeing with the speaker because you kind of want to emulate them. You don't want to be them because you're you, you're unique, but you need to understand how gestures, the, the voice inflections that we use are going to bring somebody in. I think that's my first tip is, is follow somebody, listen to them for a bit. And then the second tip would be practice. Practice your speech, but don't know it word for word because that will throw you off. If somebody all of a sudden interrupts, if something happens and you're like, where was I in my speech? You're going to be lost. So it should come natural, but you can practice the the idea, the concepts. And then the third one is definitely have feedback. Have someone grade you, if you will, or critique your speaking ability and even say, hey, when I speak, how do you, how does that make you feel? And I think that that will help somebody tremendously. All right, great advice. So how how do you best get your audiences to resonate with you? By asking them questions that they have no choice but to answer. And I'm not talking about, how was the weather today? I'm not talking about that. That's, that's <laughs> silly, right? It's beautiful. Well, Thank you for asking. No. Yes, see? So, and also I never start a speech with my name, right? Because I've already been introduced. So nobody needs to know my name because I feel like I'm more important than them. No, I ask questions and I raise my hand. So I raise my hand because people like to follow. Right. So if people like to follow, I'm giving them guidance. Uh -huh. So how do they resonate with me? I tell them how. I tell them when to raise their hands. I tell them when to stand up. I tell them even when to clap because maybe I'm clapping. So it's it's the actions that we take, the movements we do on stage or in person. If if I if I don't smile when I'm speaking on stage, why would my audience want to smile? If I don't laugh, why would they want to laugh? If I say something silly, maybe I say, wow, I can't believe I just said that. And I I become human in front of them. I'm no better than they are. And that's how I bring them in. And so we get to share an experience together. So in my mind, Raphael, there are, are three primary types of speakers. One is the keynote presenter that we're all familiar with. One's the platform mm -hmm. seller, I would call it. And third is the the person who's just using it as a business building exercise, it could be a chiropractor, a financial planner, whatever. Which of those umbrellas have you played under and which do you prefer to play under? You know, it's very interesting because I've been a keynote speaker and that's all fine and dandy. But I feel like sometimes when, when we do a keynote, it feels like you... And sometimes it's the venue that wants you to do that because they want you to be so exclusive that nobody has contact with you. So you come in and maybe you get asked a few questions and then you, you're rushed off and people are like, oh, my God, I want more. But I like the engagement type of speaker, the one that is going to be there with the people 
that I can share more with them. And as far as selling from the stage, I'm not a big proponent of that. I think that we give them so much information that, and don't get me wrong, as a speaker, you need to sell from the stage. But the way I sell it, I don't want people rushing to buy my thing. I want them to even consider it. Is everything that Raphael just spoke about worth my time to invest more? So it's okay if they don't buy today, but I give them an idea that maybe I should look into it. So instead of selling a whole big program, I give them something so that later on they can say, you know, this is something I want to do. This is something worth my time. Because the only one thing that we all can never get back is time. So if I fool somebody into buying my program because it's the most incredible thing since sliced bread, and then I'm going to have unhappy people later on because I didn't realize that that's what I was buying. I'd rather give them a sample and test it and then say, I'm in. Because I only want to work with people or people who buy my product. Right who truly feel like they're getting a value from it. Yeah, so those, have, those, That's what I prefer. I've honestly seen speakers who were fantastic speakers created the true table rush because they got people caught up in the excitement of the moment or whatever and had a literally a 70% refund rate because mm. people realized after the fact, there's no real substance here. I was just caught up in the emotions or whatever and yeah, I'm not continuing down this path with this particular person or whatever. So, yeah, you got to deliver value. And that props a couple other questions I do want to ask you. But before we continue, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to breadridgeway.com forward slash freebie. And we are back with the Spall Island Speaking Show. And my guest this week is Sifu Rafael Gomez and Sifu, my next question is probably my most favorite question to ask my guest, and that is, okay, bear your soul a little bit here. Share an embarrassing moment in your speaking career that caused you to be red-faced at the time, maybe, but there was a valuable lesson learned, and it would be something you would highly advise aspiring speakers not to do or not to make this particular mistake. Well, one of the things that has happened several times, it's uh, you start speaking and nobody can hear you because the sound guy didn't set things up. So they think they did and always start it. And then you start talking and people hear you. And then all of a sudden the sound goes out. Not embarrassing so much, but like, oh, you know, it, it takes away from the message you were giving. One thing that did happen to me is, <laughs> and I think I told you, I didn't have the right pants on. I went to an engagement and I was there and I brought my suit, but I forgot my suit pants. Thank God I had jeans on though. 
and the jeans kind of matched a little bit. And when I apologized to, I didn't even say anything to the audience. I said it to the people that are holding the event. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I didn't even notice. You look great. I'm like, okay. So at first I was worried that they were not going to be receptive to me. And when the, the person in charge said, you look great. I didn't even notice. I said, well, if he didn't notice, neither will my audience. And so I never mentioned it. But if somebody would have said something to me, I said, well, things happen, right? At least I'm wearing pants. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. Yes. You know, I, I think by and large, Raphael, the speaker on the platform who's wearing a suit is few and far between, honestly. I mean, there will be some people that you know, you still would never see without, uh, you know, dressed to the, to the nats or whatever. But uh, you know, jeans with a sport coat or whatever, it seems to be more and more common these days. And the fundamental belief, I believe, is that the audience can relate better with you because you seem more like them, being dressed a little bit more casually. Mm -hmm. Others will say, well, you should hold a position higher than them. That's why you want to dress in a suit and tie and look the person of authority or whatever. Where do you stand on all that now? It's uh, it's great, great advice that you should find out what your audience is like. If you're doing a speech at the beach, don't wear a suit, right? So <laughs> maybe maybe not necessarily uh, just shorts, but maybe shorts and a t-shirt, maybe flip-flops. That place that I was speaking at was a business event. And... The interesting part of that event is that the person running the event before the event was talking about how he hated people who did not dress business-like in a business setting. Hmm. And I was like, huh. So when I said to him, I'm sorry, I apologize because I'm not wearing my pants. And he said, I didn't even notice. It, it went to show that he really was looking from the waist up. Mm. So what's the message there? He wants a certain dress, a, a certain look. And I kind of gave him that look, but just from the waist up. But what, what happens is... We, nobody knows what I'm wearing below this shirt and this, this support coat today. So There you go. See, and that's important. <laughs> But but here's the thing, right? I, I've been at events where I've spoken in just a, t a shirt, not a T-shirt, never a T-shirt, but a, a, just like a nice dress shirt. Mm -hmm. And other ones where I have a sports coat on and, yep. and no no tie. And then other ones where I'm wearing a tie, a three-piece suit even. Sometimes it's a two-piece suit. I've been at events where I've had to wear a tuxedo to have a, speak, a, a speech because that's what they wanted. They wanted right. like, black tie affair mm -hmm. this is a black tie affair and you, you're a keynote speaker so i couldn't wearing a suit would not have looked good at a black tie affair even though it is a black tie not a black tuxedo or, or bow tie right so it, it definitely you have to know who you're speaking with all right so as host of five podcasts i want to dive into that world just a little bit because i will obviously a lot of speakers do podcasts so given that you are hosting five, number one, I don't know how you juggle all that, but number two, what are your best tips for a speaker who's doing a podcast or thinking about doing a podcast as to how make how to make that podcast 
most successful? You need a professional microphone. You need a professional camera. You need lighting. You need you need to be nice to your your guests, <laughs> right? And the other thing is you in or, listen, I've had so many amazing guests. There's one particular guy who actually sent me his book. Imagine that. Right? Look at this book, How to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. 21 tips for taking your speaking business to the next level from the number one best-selling author, Brett Ridgway. Would that be you? I know that guy. I know. He's exceptional, by the way. <laughs> but so one of the things for me, it's always about over-communicating because in order for my guests to be really, really professional looking on my shows, one of the things I don't like green screens unless you're professional you have a blue a blue or green screen set up you're gonna look terrible you put your hand out here and all of a sudden your hand gets chopped off yep. or you move your head and it gets chopped off and i was on a show with someone i will not name them and i was the guest and i had a professional setup they did not and when they spoke i was like I see half their face. Yep. Hmm. So I think that if you're going to do a video podcast, it should be very professional. If you're going to do an audio podcast, you should be able to be very professional. The sound quality is key. I started my podcast on audio only. And then I said, you know, I'm going to go to video. And man, I never look back. Because I can take the video and put that out there, but I can also take the audio, which I still do on one of my shows, actually on three of my shows, and I put that on the on the audio platforms. And it's clean and crisp. The other thing is, I always tell people, if you wear earrings or jewelry and it clanks when you're talking, we are going to have a problem if it's an audio podcast only because you're going to keep hearing click, 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 or clack, clack, whatever the sound is, and you're going to get lost and you're not going to hear the words. So like I said before, words, man, they definitely make a show. All right. So you made a comment earlier regarding something about content. So that loops me back around to another question, and that is, how do you determine when some amount of content is too much content? In other words, I mean, the mind can only, you know, absorb what the buck can endure, as they say, so to speak. Mm. So over-teaching can be an issue for some speakers because the audience is going to tune out after a while or whatever. So how do you determine what's the right amount? You You have to gauge, you have to test, right? Uh, and that's how you get testimonials by testing, right? So you have to ask, how do you feel? How was that? Did you did you understand? Sometimes even in the middle of it, and, and you have to like I raise your hand if you don't understand what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And then there you you're gauging as you're going. A lot of times I will, if I have a guest on my show and they're just rambling on, I'll interject. 
and I'll say, can we go back to what you were just talking about? Because I want to understand. So if your audience doesn't understand what's going on, as the as the host, it's your duty to make it understandable, to make it so that your audience comes back and they go, wow, he pulled me in. So a lot of times I've had guests, I had one guest on and somebody listened to my show and they said, man, that guy doesn't shut up. And they're like, you were so nice. You let them talk. I said, yes, I let them talk. I did interject here and there, but you're right. It's They didn't even take a breath. So one of the things that we have to do as a guest or as a host, you can't talk the whole time. It's It has to be a give and take, right? Yep. Well, I think it is so critical as a host to put yourself in the shoes of your listeners, of your audience. And if something is murky to you, then it's probably murky to them. And you can't hesitate, as you said, to go back and ask, you know, back up, let's let's go over that again or whatever to your guests so that the audience can get full benefit from what it is that they were trying to teach or say. So, all right, excellent stuff here. So I want to give you a couple minutes, Raphael, to tell people a little bit more about what it is, all that you do, and how they can get involved in your world if they so choose. What are some of those podcast titles that they would want to check out, et cetera? Sure. So the first show that I've ever done was called Coaching Call. And the reason I did Coaching Call is because I'm curious. I want to know what all the coaches are doing. What it, but a lot of times when I started looking and doing my research on this particular show, I was going to consider a martial arts show because I love martial arts. And then I started listening to martial art podcasts. And then they died. They would have a bunch and then they wouldn't be there anymore. Mm -hmm. They would have a bunch. And so different people. And then it was the same information over and over and over again. And I said, man, that is boring. Because unless you're into martial arts, that's it. You're stuck. So I said, hmm. There are so many different coaches out there. There's speaking coaches. Oh, hi, Brett. There's <laughs> there's vocal coaches. There's football coaches, soccer coaches, swimming coaches. There's financial coaches. There's lifestyle coaches. And I said, those are the people I need to talk to. That's where coaching call became my, my focus. And when I did my research on any coaching, it was all about sports. There was no one there talking to other people about the different coaching modalities. Mm -hmm. So I considered it. And here's the reason I really did start podcasting, because especially with coaching, because 2020, a lot of people, they, they this is the word that everybody was using at the time, they pivoted right? They had to do something different. Either they lost their jobs or they were home doing nothing. And so they said, oh, I know, I'll be a coach. Let me start charging money so I can, you know, keep my livelihood going, which is, I, you know, I commend them. But here's the thing. A lot of coaches were reaching out, and I'm sure you and every listener probably got a thousand emails a day by every different coach asking for money, 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 and then they produced nothing. 
And I even had a coach reach out to me and offer me a free program that they normally paid $97, but they were going to give it to me for free. I said, that's very kind of you. I looked at it and it was three pages. It was a PDF with three pages and they were charging $97 for it. And I said, this is horrible. I said, this is why I need to talk to real coaches. So that's where coaching calls started. I did my due diligence. I went on LinkedIn. I, I talked to a lot of my friends who were in the movies, uh, UFC fighters, UFC trainers, um, people I know, all different venues. And then I started going on LinkedIn and I said, I need to start talking to coaches. So I started looking up coaches, finding them, YouTube everywhere. And so it took some time, but I built, I used to have 526 people on my LinkedIn. I'm up to 8,000 and changed right now. From 2020, that's not so bad. No. And it's because I started reaching out to people and I said, hey, I'm considering a show. Would you consider it? And a lot of people said, yes. Some people never responded, which is fine. It wasn't for them. Or maybe they didn't know what I what it was about. And that's why that show was born. And I fell in love with the show. I was so intrigued by every guest that I was curious. I would, I would, I, honest, I was not considering my audience. It was for me, right? So they were, they were giving lessons. They were giving instructions. They were giving things. And my curiosity is what kept the show alive. And I was asking them questions and how do you do this and why do you do this and and where were you born and and who influenced you and all these things and from there i said wow now that i've accumulated so many shows i think i would like to have some of those guests back but wouldn't i ask another gentleman to be my co-host and then we'll do another show and i called it heroes rising because i saw every coach who was on my show as a hero. And every one of them brought value. So I said, why don't I do another show twice a month and call it Heroes Rising? And from there, we would bring two coaches on. Everybody gets 15 minutes. You were on the show. And the value, the amount of response that we got from that show was incredible. All my shows are international. People are following me from all over the world because I've had coaches from all over the world. That's where LinkedIn was the beautiful connection, right? LinkedIn is worldwide. I didn't want to go to Facebook, right? I didn't want to see some of the, the nonsense that we get on Facebook. But I want the people who were in business, people who were more dressed up, if you will, right? And so that's where Heroes Rising started. And then a coach reached out to me and she said, we have such great chemistry. Can we do something together? And we did a couple of things together. And then I said, hey, why don't we start a show? And the Seer show started. And the Seer show was an amazing show. And this young lady is in Australia. I'm in New York. So I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning. Not, I already get up at that time. The show was at 4.30 a.m. Because it was 6.30 p.m. for her, 4.30 right. for me. It didn't matter to me because I was usually up around four o'clock. So I would, be, when it was those shows, I said, oh, I don't want to get up at four. I want to get up at 3.30. So I would get up at 3.30. And I always had a blast doing the show with her. But 
her life changed and she stopped showing up. So I said, you know, I need to take this show. I, I love the concept. I love the idea. So I said to her, I sent her an email, never responded. And I said, I think that our direction has changed. I said, I'm going to take the show because I created it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you the version, Australian version. You can have it. I'll take the New York version, but I'm going to make mine more US-based and I'm going to do it at 7.30 a.m. I know for some people that's still early, 7.30 a.m. And there I will talk to different people. So that show went from, you know, talking to a lot of great coaches. Now it's about mindset, health, and fitness. So I'll have doctors on there. I'll have people who are coaches on mindset and people who are on fitness. And I said, oh, that's not enough. I need another show. And so yeah, you're I not doing enough. Clearly, you're not doing enough. <laughs> I had another young lady that actually reached out to me and she's from South Africa and she was in New Jersey. She actually took an Uber to New York and came to my school. You know how expensive that had to be? And it, I think it was a couple of hours. She took an Uber and she came to New York and she spent a couple of I don't know, about seven, eight hours with me. I bought her dinner. Afterwards, we did a show together. And then I said, you know, I think we can do something together. And I created business prowess. And so she's in South Africa and I'm in New York. And we do that on Fridays at 11 a.m. Eastern. And then I said, I've learned so much from a young man working at a bingo hall. I used to sell shish kebabs on the street. I used to sell flags at the parades. I used to sell whatever because somebody saw, I used to sell ices, um, you know, the shaved ice. I used to sell, I used to get a little carton. I used to go a mile and go to different corners and sell. So I've always spoken to people. People have given me tips my whole life. I've learned from watching. And I said, you know, it would be really interesting to have an extra show called New Tip Daily. So that one is Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. New Tip Daily on Mondays, I talk business. So I give business ideas, concepts. On Tuesdays, family and communication. On Wednesdays, is health and fitness. On Thursdays, is meditation Thursdays. And believe it or not, this morning's meditation, I'm taking all the meditations from this book, Dow 365, and this morning's meditation was on communication. Interestingly enough, it wasn't planned. It just happened that way because I'm following the, the order of the book. And on Fridays, I have a coach come on and give a couple of, of tips on. I believe you've been on that show. So what show have you not been on, my friend? Oh, good gosh. You can put me on the spot here. So I think the, the Sears show, the 730. Yeah, yeah. I mean, business prowess, tip daily. Yes, yes. I mean, the first, your initial show. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> you know, if I'm, if I'm a fit and I can contribute to your audience, great. I am happy to do it. If I'm not a fit, that's fine too. So it's all about you're your- You're a perfect fit. It's all about your listeners and what will benefit them. So- mm -hmm. Definitely. All right. Well, we will make sure that links to all of Sifu Raphael's shows appear in the show notes down below. So I am asking you to send those to me so we can make sure 
people can Absolutely. check all those out. And, you know, Raphael, I appreciate so much you letting me, you know, flip the switch or flip the order and me be the host and you be the guest this time. So thank you for being on the Spotlight on Speaking show. All my listeners out there and watchers, thank you for joining us. And if you haven't, maybe get over to SpotlightOnSpeaking.com and register with your favorite service to be notified of upcoming episodes. And if you haven't, get on over to BrittRidgeway.com. You can pick up the new book that Raphael showed there, How to Build a Profitable Speaking Business, as well as any of my seven other books that I've written. That's at BrittRidgeway.com. And as always, I thank you so much for joining me. I wish you the greatest of success in all that you do. And may this year be your greatest year yet. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. Be sure to join us every week as we interview speaking industry pros and have them share their best tips for building a profitable speaking business. Until next week, thank you for tuning in. And remember to visit our website at SpotlightOnSpeaking.com so you can enjoy even more great episodes like this one. While you're here, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Spotlight on Speaking Show. Until then, our sincere best wishes to you for the greatest of success as you work to build your own profitable speaking business.